0: You tread in riches To run to my rescue oh my Redeemer You take the pieces And turn them to praises oh my Redeemer Not deny so as the morning light, Jesus, my Redeemer, my Redeemer, you pay my rent. Suffer, oh, my Redeemer, oh, my Redeemer, love I cannot deny, sure as the morning light, Jesus, my Redeemer. Now I'm not ashamed you be the highest praise Jesus my Redeemer My No other Lord like Jesus. You outshine the sun. You outshine the sun. You You outshine the sun. Love, I cannot deny. Sure as the morning light. Jesus, my Redeemer. Now I'm not ashamed. You be the highest praise, Jesus, my Redeemer. Love, I cannot deny. Sure as the morning light, Jesus, my Redeemer. Now I'm not ashamed, you be the highest praise, Jesus, my Redeemer, my Redeemer, my Redeemer, my Redeemer. My Redeemer
1: Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that you are our Redeemer, Lord Jesus, that you have paid it all for us. God, I pray, Father, as we just come before you in this time and as we set aside this time just to enter in, God, to come into your presence. Lord Jesus, that you meet us here. God, that it would not just be words to songs or music, Father, but an opportunity for us to cry out to you, I love you. With every note, and every verse that we would lift up our praise to you, God. We pray that you would receive it and inhabit the praises of your people. Be here with us. Guide us, lead us, that your spirit would speak to us, Lord Jesus, in this place. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name.
0: I look To the cross I cling Of its suffering I do Dream Of its work I do sing For honoring my Savior Both bruised and crushed Showed him God His love is just at the cross you beckon me draw me Jenny to my knees and i am lost for words so lost in love i sweetly broken holy surrender Priceless gift, undeserved life. Have I been given through Christ crucified? You called me out of death, you called me into life. I was under your wrath. Through the cross I'm reconciled At the cross you Beckon me Draw me gently To my knees And I am lost for words So lost in love I'm sweetly broken All in surrender all the cross I must confess is your redeeming love and how great is your faithfulness at the cross you beckon me draw me Jenny to my knees and i am lost for words so lost in love i Sweetly broken, holy surrender. At the cross, you beckon me. Draw me gently to my knees, and I am lost for words, so lost in love. I'm sweetly broken, holy surrender. Holy surrender. Holy surrender. Surrender, Holy Surrender. In times I fail, your mercy remain Should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fails Never ending, your glory goes beyond My purpose remain out of losing myself in bringing You praise everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fails. Never ending, Your glory goes beyond all fear. My heart and my soul. purpose remain The art of losing myself In bringing you praise Everlasting Your light will shine When all is fair Never ending Your glory goes beyond all faith Heart in my soul I give you control, consume me from the inside out. Let justice and praise become my embrace. To love you from the inside out, everlasting. Your light will shine when all else will never soul, now give you control, consume me from the inside out, Lord, let justice and praise become my embrace, to love you from the inside out, everlasting, your light will shine when all oh Your light will shine when How great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us. i My heart turned violently sad. Filled with his praises One day when sin was Black as could be Jesus came forth to Be born of a virgin Dwelt among men My example is he Word became flesh And light shined among They nailed him die on a tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sin my redeemer is he the hands that healed nations stretched out on a tree, he took the nails for me. He loved me Dying He saved me Buried He carried he far away Rising He justified Freely forever One day He's coming Heal him no longer. One day the stone roar away from the door. Then he arose over death, he had conquered. Now has ascended, Lord, evermore. Death cannot hold him, grave cannot keep him rising up Living, you love me, dying, you save me, bury, you carry, sin far away, rising, you justify, freely forever, one day you come coming, glorious day. See
1: God, we look forward to the day we see you face to face. But to that time, Lord, you have called us. You have directed us as your church, Lord God, to occupy, to be busy. You prayed a prayer in Matthew saying that the harvest is ripe. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. We are the laborers. Lord God, I pray as we draw near to you through your word, you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, I pray that you meet us in this place, whether many or few, Lord God, you meet us here. You move by the power of your spirit through your word. Help us to learn, help us to grow. Prepare us as your laborers sent to the field. God, we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles with you tonight, let's take a look at Jeremiah. We're going to continue our never-ending saga through the book of Jeremiah. As we take a look, keep in mind, Jeremiah, the, the list of prophecies that the Lord gives to us through Jeremiah, they're Design, not as a chronology. In other words, they don't necessarily follow directly through time. But these are the messages. These are the words. These are the the, the word that God had for Jeremiah to take to the people. And we're going to pick up in, uh, in chapter 24 tonight. And as we look at chapter 24, the Lord knows at this particular point in Jeremiah's ministry... That Jeremiah is at a low point. Now, if you've ever studied the life of Jeremiah, keep this in mind. Jeremiah uh, had a drag of a ministry. Jeremiah's ministry was to preach a word that nobody would receive the whole time he, he taught it. Not one convert, not one person repented, not one person changed their life. Yet, day after day, morning after morning, evening after evening, Jeremiah would get up and he would take and he'd go out and share the word God gave him. Now, Jeremiah, at the point in chapter 24, has just watched one of the waves of captivity occur. The nation of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has come down, snatched up some of the children of Israel, the kings that were in power at that time, set up his own puppet king, actually the last puppet king. I think this is during the time of Jeconiah, or just after Jeconiah. But anyways, as he he comes through and he does that, Jeremiah is at kind of a low point. You know, he's watching... The people that he dreamed about, one day they would repent and change their life. He's watching them go into captivity. And as they go into captivity, God brings them a word. A little short chapter here in chapter 24, but God brings them a word of encouragement. It's not the end. Them going into captivity or or people we know and love going through hard times. not the end. It's not the last chapter. God always has more to do. He begins... In chapter 24, verse 1, The Lord showed me, and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the craftsmen and the smiths from Jerusalem, and brought them to Babylon. Now one basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very bad figs, which could not be eaten. They were so bad. And the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? So I said, Figs. The good figs are very good, and the bad are very bad, which cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of their place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. Now, a lot of times we look, and maybe you would think there would be something else. You see, the ones who went to captivity were God's remnant. They were the ones of the whole group within Judah And not very many of them were anywhere close to obedient to God. But they were the ones most obedient to the Lord. They were the ones whom God could change their heart. The ones left behind, they were the ones whose heart was totally turned away from God. So God took his hands off them. The Bible lays out for us that whom he loves, the Lord chastens. And scourges every son that he loves, the idea being that God will always move in discipline in our lives, as long as we are open and willing, as long as we have a heart turned toward him and a desire to repent, as long as we'll come back, God will always continue to work in our life. But if we ever reach that point where we won't, the Bible says He turned them over. He turns him over. God takes his hands off. You want God's hands off your life. All you have to do is ask. He'll take them off. He'll let you go. In this vision, Jeremiah is looking at these people going into captivity and he's thinking, oh my gosh, their lives are ruined. But God says in the vision, that's the good figs. Those are the ones that are going to be okay. Because I've sent them to Babylon. I sent them there. And God goes on in the next verse to tell us all the things He's going to do for them. He says in verse six, For I will set my eyes on them for good. So the first promise, I'm going to work good in their life. Now, just they, just like you and I, sometimes can look at the experiences of our life and say, How can this possibly be good? But Paul wrote to us in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, right? For we know, not we hope, for we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Everything that comes into our life, Jeremiah 29, 11, which Jeremiah, writing chapter 29, is writing a letter to these captives who are in Babylon. Remember Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That God has a desire to to move in their life. That's the promise that Jeremiah is laying out to them. And that's what God says. Listen, the first thing I want you to know, Jeremiah, this is for their good. The Bible calls us throughout the Old Testament prophets to learn this simple thing. And that is to walk simple. Concept simple. The actual doing of it is a little more difficult. To walk by faith and not by sight. We look at something and we say, this is bad. The, the, tru- the truth, the reality of it all is we have no idea what's good and bad. No idea. You guys remember the little Chinese proverb, right? The farmer. No? You guys don't remember? You're going to make me tell the Chinese proverb again? The Chinese proverb, a, a farmer, a guy comes to, to, to visit these farmers. In this one particular farm, he gives a gift of a horse to this farmer. And all the farmer's friends come around and they say, wow, you are sure blessed. That guy gave you a a horse. What a good thing. And the farmer said, I don't know whether it's good or not. We'll see. About a week later, his son is on that horse riding that horse around. He falls off a horse and breaks his leg. And those friends all came to him and they said, yeah, we see what you mean. That That horse was a curse. It wasn't a blessing. And the farmer said, I don't know. We'll see. About a week later, one of the rulers of of that area in China came to that village and took all the young men away to war, but his son couldn't go because he had a broke leg. So they came to him and they said, wow, you're right. Turns out that horse was a good thing. What a blessing that your son broke his leg. It's, It's good. And the farmer said, whether it's good or bad, I don't know. We'll see. Several months later, the that army has this incredible victory and every one of those soldiers comes home a millionaire. All kind of gold from the conquest. And all those guys came to that farmer and said, oh, you're right. Guess it was a bad thing. And The farmer said, whether it's good or bad, I don't know. The proverb goes on for like another half hour. I'm not gonna keep going. The whole point of the proverb is simple. We can't always tell good from bad. The very thing that looks like a curse can turn out to be a blessing. And we've all experienced it one time or another in our life. And the same thing is true here. The Lord says, listen, walk by faith and not by sight. Here's my promise to those going into captivity. They're being taken as slaves. God says, I mean this for your good. So we hold on to that. It's no different than when you go to the doctor and the doctor says cancer. God would say the same thing. I mean this for your good. It's no different when you go into your work and your boss tells you, I'm sorry we had to lay you off. We don't have a job for you anymore. It's still the same. God says, I mean it for your good. You walk by faith and not by sight and trust the Lord that he's working and moving in your life. Well, the second thing he says, not only uh, for their good, but then the second thing is he says, I will bring them back to the land. So he promises it for their good. And the second thing is, he says it's not going to be forever. You ever needed to know that in a trial? It won't last forever. Won't last forever. It can last a long time. But it won't last forever. That's the whole point that God's making here to them. They have no idea how long the captivity is. Jeremiah is going to tell us in the next chapter. But they have no idea how long it is. They just know they're going into captivity. And for those who are old, er, it will be the rest of their life. For those who are young, well, they may get to come back and see the land once more. But it won't be forever. It's not eternal. Problems are never forever. They're not final. And that's what the Lord wants them to understand. Listen, it's not final. I'll bring you back to the land. And then he goes on and says, I will build them and not pull them down. God's design, his desire through this is to build them up. To build up our faith. There are things that we go through. There are struggles we face. There are times when we go through difficult things. But the point is, God's saying, is for your good. It won't last forever, and I'm doing it to build you up. I'm doing it to build you up. To make you strong. To prepare your heart for whatever the next battle holds for you. So that you'll be ready when uh, that day comes before you. So I'll build them and not pull them down. And finally, I will plant them and not pluck them up. And that idea of being planted speaks of permanence. Permanence. I'm going to build you up and I'm going to plant you. And when he plants you, you set down roots, your home. Well, that's what he's letting them know. It's for your good. It's not forever. It won't last forever. I'm going to build you up, and then I'm going to plant you. I'm going to give you roots. I'm going to give you a home, a place where you belong. This is what God's doing for the captives, and they're the good figs. And Jeremiah needed that encouragement because when he sees them all going away to the taskmasters, chained up, he thinks, well, this is it for them. But God says, no, it's not it for them. The guys who are still hanging around Jerusalem, however, the, that, their story is not so good. The Lord goes on to say this. In, in verse 7, he gives a, a promise that is not yet fulfilled and is still future. That is, then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Now, after 70 years of captivity, God is once again going to bring them into the land. But until Jesus Christ returns and sets up his kingdom, they will not come after him with a whole heart. That's when they go with a whole heart. You remember the the book of Romans says, and all of Israel will be saved. That's the day all of Israel is saved. Because God's going to divide Israel. God's going to come at that time. The Lord Jesus Christ has set up his kingdom. He's going to divide the sheep from the goats. He's going to divide real Israel from make-believe Israel. He's going to take the true ones who will follow him with the whole heart. And they will enter in. They are called the remnant. And he will take the rest. They are called the rebels. And they won't enter in. They'll be gone. And the remnant will come on that day All of Israel will be saved. What's Israel mean? Governed by God. Those whom Jesus is their king. That's Israel. Those whom Jesus is not their king. That's the rebels. The ones that are outside. That day will come. That day will come when Jesus returns. But until then, this is the promise that God gave to Jeremiah. Then he looks at the bad figs. Now... And as the bad figs cannot be eaten, they're so bad. Surely thus says the Lord. So I will give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will deliver them to trouble. See, not good, but bad. Into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm. To be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, a curse. In all the places where I will drive them. And I will send the sword, the famine, and pestilence among them. Till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. The rebels are going to be lost. They're gone. God takes his hand off of you. It's over. But the remnant, they'll be saved. They'll be carried through. They'll be brought in. God will have his hand on them, guiding and moving them. Now in chapter 25, Jeremiah goes on. He's In chapter 25, he's about 23 years into his ministry. His ministry is a little better than 40 years. So he's at the halfway point in his ministry in chapter 25. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon. So chapter 24, Nebuchadnezzar has already come and taken away captives. Now chapter 25, he looks back. He looks back. Before Nebuchadnezzar had come, Nebuchadnezzar's just now become the king of Babylon. And, and they're on the horizon, you know, Babylon coming. And the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. And he's going to give him two messages. One for the nation of Israel, which is verses 1 through 14. And 15 through 38 is for the Gentile nations. So he's going to give this message. And it's a message ultimately of judgment. A judgment that God is bringing on the nation of Israel. It says in verse 2, Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that's this, his, the group that he's speaking to. Okay, He doesn't leave Jerusalem or Judah. To bring this prophecy, from the 13th year of Josiah, king of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. He's going to bring that word of condemnation against him four times. How does faith enter into our life? The Bible says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. Faith comes by receiving the word of God. Listening. What did James say? Do not be hearers only, but what? Doers. Doers also. When the Lord says you don't listen, he means you're not. You may hear my words, but you're not doing them. You're turning away from the word. So the, the judgment that God is bringing against Judah is I have brought you my word and you're not listening. You are not being a doer of the word. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. At the time of Jeremiah, there were several prophets working at the same time. When we look at the Old Testament, one of the neat things about the Old Testament is the chronology of the Old Testament is built in 11 books. 11 books is the whole chronology of the Old Testament. The rest of the books fit somewhere in those 11, which often causes people a little bit of a struggle when they read the Old Testament of understanding what time frame they're in. So at the time of Jeremiah, it's the it's split of the kingdom. At the split of the kingdom in the time of Jeremiah, these are the prophets that God was also using during that time. He was using Uriah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Daniel, And Ezekiel, all those guys are prophesying at the same time as Jeremiah. All those are bringing the word of God to deaf ears, people who would not hear. So when he says in verse 4, the Lord has sent all his servants and the prophets. Hey, there's multiple guys at the time of Jeremiah that are bringing the same message. And they said, in verse 5, repent now everyone of his evil way and his evil doings. And dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Listen, the, the Palestinian covenant in the Old Testament, which God gave to the nation of Israel. The Palestinian covenant, or the covenant for the land, was a if you, then I covenant. That means it's a conditional covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. God said, I will bless you. Period. Abraham, you don't have to do nothing. And the generations that come after you, I'll bless you. That's an everlasting covenant. Now, when God gives the everlasting covenant to Abraham, part of the everlasting covenant is the land. So the land always belongs to Israel. But they don't have to live there. I understand that. I have a house in California. It's mine. Lock, stock, and barrel. Anybody want it? I'd be happy to sell it. I just have to sell it for twice what it's worth because it's not worth anything. It's mine, but I'm not ever going to live in it again. Not one day. The same way the land belonged to Israel, but if they disobeyed the Lord, God says, it's still yours, but you can't live there. You're going to go somewhere else. Ultimately, the Lord says, if you disobey me, I'm going to scatter you To the four winds of the earth. Four directions of the compass. Where do we find the Jews today? Scattered to the four winds, right? A lot of people want to point to May 14th, 1948. And don't get me wrong. That's an incredible date in history when we see God really again beginning to work in the nation of Israel. But that's not the fulfillment of God drawing the nation of Israel back to himself. That occurs when Jesus returns. When Israel comes to Him with their whole heart. There are more Jews in New York than there is in Israel. So we haven't seen that. Maybe we're seeing the beginning stages. And certainly the rebirth of the nation is an incredible prophetic uh, point that, that, that the Lord did. But the regathering of the people. We're not seeing that yet. But that will come. That day will come the point that the Lord is making in verse 5 is you don't have to go through any of that. Just repent. You ever notice how stubborn people are? I'm dead wrong. Dead wrong. But I'll just go to my grave not saying I'm sorry. I'll just go to my grave not saying I was wrong. You guys remember happy days? Yeah, you know the Fonz always had a problem saying, I'm so." I'm sorry. He could never say it. He could never spit it out. You know, there's a lot of people that I think are sick. I think there's a lot of people that are weak. A lot of people that are not enjoying the, the life that God intends them to have in Him because of that same issue. They won't repent. We have to if you're going to have a right relationship with God. Say God's right. About whatever the sin is. Whatever the issue. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter your opinion of it. I, I, I get blown away all the time. Of how many people. Think well I go to church. So it's okay to live with my girlfriend. I'm sorry. Back that up again. It's not Okay. We're married in God's eyes. Yeah, as soon as you sign the paper, you're married in God's eyes. So what's the problem with signing a paper? We sometimes forget the concept. Who made marriage? The state? No. The government? No. That's why the government doesn't have the right to define marriage. Listen, marriage was made in Genesis. The book of Genesis... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It is not good that man should dwell alone. I will make a helper comparable to him, someone that will help to complete those missing things in his life. So the Lord created marriage. He put it together. Now, we can say, I don't agree with that, and I say, but that's fine. You can say you don't agree with it, but don't tell me you're walking as a believer with the Lord. Don't tell me that. Because these guys here, the, the charge that God had against them is they won't repent. That means they won't say what we're doing is wrong. They're the bad figs. That's the rotten fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Those things are evident in our life when we live a life that is anchored in that concept of repentance. What God says is right. When whatever I do goes against God's Word, God's Word doesn't need to be updated. I'm wrong. But it doesn't make it very popular, does it? There's a lot of concepts in the world that are, are way more popular. I mean, the world would say, uh, depending on what circles you run in, that, that abortion is the right of a mother over her own body. But that's not what God says. The world would say, it's not, you can't say that it's sin to be a homosexual. You can't help it. You're born that way. That's not what God says. not what god says what do you mean well god sort of says that but he says it like this we're all born in sin me you them us all of us and i can have a right relationship with him as soon as i can say you're right god i'm a sinner jesus said i came to call sinners to repentance not the righteous and before you start thinking, I'm the righteous, don't forget what Paul wrote in Romans. There is none righteous. How many? No, not one. <laughs> none. We're all sin. We're all, we're all sinners. We're all sick. We're all born that way. But it doesn't make it okay. We don't justify it. We ask for forgiveness, and He makes us a new creation, created in Christ Jesus. The call in verse 5 is a call of repentance, man. Repent. Repent and stay in the land. Repent and enjoy the things that God has for your life. Do not go after other gods, in verse 6, to serve them or worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Listen, God says, repentance will forestall judgment. Repentance will stop it. The judgment of God against Judah could have... Then stopped if they were willing to repent repentance is a big deal man it's not a little thing it's a big deal and so here the lord says listen i i would not harm would not come to you if only you would repent if only you would say you're right god we're in sin forgive us and god would have forgiven them you read the book of Revelation as you study the book of Revelation and over and over again you see the wrath of God poured out on a Christ rejecting world. And as you see that wrath poured out on that Christ rejecting world, we need to recognize that the purpose behind it is so that the people would call upon the name of God and be saved. I don't know about you, but when I'm drowning, I don't care who it is that is coming by on the boat. I am not going to be so stubborn to say, oh, I'm not really drowning. I don't want them to see me. I'm embarrassed. I think I'll just sink. But yet, that's what the world does. That's what Judah did. And in the book of Revelation, how many times does God say, and still they would not repent or call upon the name of the Lord. All they had to do was lift up a hand to him. Save me. I'm a sinner. And God would have done it seems so simple doesn't it why is it so hard why is it so hard for us to to acknowledge when we're wrong well he goes on and says in verse seven but you have not listened to me says the lord that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your own hands to your own hurt therefore thus says the lord of hosts because you have not heard my words so four times you won't listen. You don't believe. You won't, you won't receive the word that God's given. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, what's that next phrase? My servant. What? Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant? Before you go too far past it, don't forget about Cyrus. Cyrus, whom Isaiah names by name before he's born, 200 years before he's born, God says, I will send Cyrus, my servant. He's going to be the ruler of the Medes and Persians who will, who will uh, rule over Israel toward the end of the 70 years of captivity. Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. You know, God can use anybody. Listen, don't panic by what I'm about to say, but it's true. God can use Obama. Sure he can. I'll go a step further. A nation gets the leadership they deserve. Correct. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. So I'm sure if the Lord was talking to us today about President Obama, he said, He's my servant. I sent him. I sent him just like he sent Nebuchadnezzar to come and I will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against these nations all around and I will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth or joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom or the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be desolation and an astonishment. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. First place, God told them how long it was going to be. You will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. The king of Babylon is going to conquer Jerusalem three times. The third time, he is going to obliterate it. Because no matter what he does, no matter what puppet king or governor he sets up, Jeremiah is there telling the people, just do what Babylon wants and they won't listen. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes back and kills them all, tries again, kills them all, tries again, then he just kills them all. Forget it. He makes it a desolation, wipes it out. But those who go into captivity will serve for 70 years and it will come to pass. When the 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and, the, and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Oh, on one hand, he's saying that they're going to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Then he says he's going to bring his judgment against the king of Babylon. Why didn't he name him? Jesus said in John chapter 10... I know my sheep. They know me. I'll call them by name. I think there's a big clue to the people that God specifically calls by name. What do I mean? Uh, I mean, I I believe Nebuchadnezzar is saved, I believe he's a child of the king. Nebuchadnezzar had this whole deal with God, you know. He was full of pride, you guys remember. But God sent that guy Daniel, right, beloved of God. Daniel, one of two people in the Bible for whom no sin is mentioned. And there Daniel is ministering to to King Nebuchadnezzar. We all know the story, right? He built the giant thing, had the dream. Remember, he had the dream and he said, Okay, tell me what my dream meant. And all his wise men said, Well, tell us what you dreamed and we'll tell you what it meant. And he said, No, if you're really wise... You tell me what I dreamed and what it meant. And they said, there's no way we can do that. And so he said, kill all the wise men. So Nebuchadnezzar had a hot temper. So the guys go out to kill all the wise men of whom one of them's Daniel. And when they come to kill Daniel, Daniel says, what is going on? And he says, well, take me to the king. I'll tell him. So they take him and he says, Nebuchadnezzar, so that you know there is a God in heaven who knows everything i'm going to tell you your dream and the interpretation of that dream but it's not me it's god and he tells him he tells him and so this relationship develops between daniel and nebuchadnezzar later on in nebuchadnezzar's life he keeps looking at this nation and he keeps saying this great nation that i have built he's full of pride And he has a dream one day, a crazy dream. And he goes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, I had this crazy dream. What's it all about? And Daniel said, listen, king, I don't want to tell you. And the king says, no, Daniel, it'll be okay. I promise I won't get mad. You can go ahead and tell me. This is Jackie paraphrased, by the way. You can tell me. It'll be okay. So Daniel says, all right, I'll tell you. You're full of pride. This kingdom that you have was given to you by God. You are his servant. And if you continue to raise up in pride and say that you are the one who built all this, then God is going to take it away from you. And for seven years, you will be insane. You'll eat the grass of the field. Your hair will grow like the feathers of a, of a bird. Your fingernails will grow out like claws. Nobody will be taking care of them for seven years. But so that you know the God in heaven has given you this kingdom at the end of seven years, the Lord will bring sanity back into your life. And you'll finish. Your kingdom will still be yours. King Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, better be careful. Don't want to go crazy for seven years. One day he's in his backyard and he looks up on the hill and he says, oh, my goodness, look at them hanging gardens. I have built a magnificent kingdom. And that was it. Seven years, crazy. Traditions say that it was Daniel the prophet that took care of him during those seven years. But it was God who kept his kingdom together. You think about it. When in history has the king gone utterly, totally, completely insane and someone else didn't take rule? God held the kingdom for him. At the end of seven years... Nebuchadnezzar in his spirit said, truly, it is God who has given me this kingdom and his sanity return. How do we know that story? Because in Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar wrote it down. And he said, so that you know, there is only one God in heaven, the God of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar wrote a chapter in the Bible. He belonged to God. This other guy, the king of Babylon that God's gonna judge, his name is Belshazzar. Remember Belshazzar? Belshazzar is hanging out in his his palace having a party, and all of a sudden that's the story where a hand appears and writes on the wall Meeny Mini tekel you farson. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Today, your kingdom is stripped from you. That's not a good message. Before he woke up in the morning, he was dead. The people of Babylon didn't even know they were conquered for three days. Can you imagine that? The Medes and the Persians came in at night, killed the king, took over the government, and the regular everyday people didn't know for three days. That's how easily... God could turn the Babylonians over and to judge them. But then he goes on to say, listen, the end of the verse, he says, that will be a perpetual desolation. Babylon's not a perpetual desolation yet. Now, some say that that, that maybe that's not exactly what it means, and there's a lot of argument about it. We won't get into any of that stuff. But the point is, when you read the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is a story about two cities. You know the two cities? Jerusalem, the city of peace, and what's the other one? Babylon. Because Jerusalem becomes synonymous with that city of peace, a city whose God is the Lord, and Babylon becomes synonymous with the people who are in rebellion against the Lord. Babylon began way back in the book of Genesis under a guy named Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter before the Lord, against the Lord. He built up a tower. Remember the tower that was going into the heavens as they were trying to exalt themselves above the Most High, and God confused their languages? That was Babylon. The foundation of every world religion had its beginning in Babylon. It's where they all started. Babylon of Genesis, the Babylon that we're reading about here, the Babylon that's still sitting there today, with Saddam Hussein's name etched into the blocks now, calling himself Nebuchadnezzar II. I guess he was wrong. But somebody else is coming. Somebody else is coming. But that judgment will come against Babylon. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that Babylon will be utterly and totally destroyed. Now, in verse 13, it says, So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning the nations. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them. Also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of of their hands the first 14 verses his prophecy centers on israel why is that because whenever god begins to talk about his wrath or judgment judgment begins where in the house of god judgment begins in the house of god first god brings his judgment upon his own people and then he turns his direction to the gentiles and there's a lot of stuff when the Lord turns his direction to the Gentiles. A lot of things that Jeremiah talks about that point us to the book of Revelation and things that are going to be occurring in those days that also occurred during Jeremiah's time. In fact, as we, as we just take a look at it, and we'll go through that, it says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send upon them. What's the cup? Remember the cup? Lord, if there be any way that this cup would pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The cup of judgment against sin. The cup of the wrath of God. All throughout the pages of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ drank that cup for us so that we don't have to. But we can choose to reject Jesus Christ and drink the cup ourselves. But then we don't have God to blame, just ourselves. Because we were too full of pride to turn. The first thing he talks about, the first thing he lays out in this judgment against the Gentiles number one, the cup of the wrath of God. and Judgment first began with his people, the nation of Israel, and then it turns to all the nations. Then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and I made all the nations drink to whom the Lord had sent me. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, that's where it starts. Its kings and its princes, to make them a desolation, an astonishment, a hissing and a curse. It is this, as it is this day. Uh, then Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his princes, all his people, all the mixed multitude of the kings of the land of Uz, the kings of the land of the Philistines, namely Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod. Edom, Moab, and the people of Ammon. All the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, all the kings of the coastlands, which are across the sea. Interesting. Dedan, Timah, Abuz, and all that are in the farthest corners, all the kings of Arabia. And all the kings of the mixed multitude who dwell in the desert. All the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, all the kings of the Medes, all the kings of the north, far and near, one with another. And all the kingdoms of the world which are on the face of the earth. Now just in case you think your kingdom wasn't involved, that's the catch-all. All the kingdoms of the world which are on the face of the earth would include us. In case you were wondering. Hey Joe, also the kings of Shishak shall drink <laughs> the kings of Shishak shall drink after them. Therefore, you will say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Drink, be drunk, and vomit, fall and rise no more, because of the sword which I will send among you. There are two cups to drink. One is the cup of judgment, the other is the cup of submission. It's a picture of being submitted unto the Lord, of turning your heart to him, turning your desire toward him. There's one or the other that will all drink. And so the scripture goes on, and it shall be if they refuse to take the cup from your hand to drink, then you will say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you shall certainly drink, for behold... I begin to bring calamity on the city, which is called by my name. And should you be utterly unpunished? You shall not be unpunished, for I will call for a sword on all the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. God's judgment coming against the nation. There's more that we'll get into next time. But as we take a look at that, and as we consider what God's word has for us there, you remember in First Peter, Peter writes... If judgment begins in the house of the Lord, then what will happen to those outside? That's the same thing that's occurring here. Judgment beginning in the house of the Lord and then spreading out into the nations. Now, not only does judgment first fall on Judah and the nation of Israel and then on Babylon and God sends the children of Israel back into the land. But he's looking to the future. He's looking to the ultimate judgment, the ultimate wrath, the the wrath of God falling upon the nations, the people rejecting Christ, and we'll see those things as we pick it up next week. As we close out tonight, we'll close out tonight like we do all Sunday nights, we'll close it out with a time of prayer. So I invite you, the Lord speaks to your heart or something you'd like to share, to share away. Have an opportunity for open prayer, and then afterwards I'll close it off and we'll... Go to Roberto's and have burritos. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for this time and opportunity to seek your face, to look to you. Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for all that you do. Father, we ask, Lord, in this place, God, that you would help us to see, help us to understand that you give us your word so that we make application to our life so we don't forget the important lessons that you brought father we ask that you would anoint the time father that you would anoint this opportunity as we come before you in an attitude of prayer lord that you would touch the sick that you would bring your healing your provision to those who have need god we ask that your spirit would be with us in this place And that you would move in a mighty way in Jesus' name.